Your Partner in Success Radio is a free business podcast with host Denise Griffiths. It's all about great stories, conversation, and context to help you move your business and life forward with actionable tips and advice from her guest experts. To listen and subscribe, just find us on iTunes, Google Play, or wherever you consume your podcasts. Welcome to your Partner in Success Radio. I'm your host, Denise Griffiths, and this podcast is ranked in the top 2% of the most popular podcasts globally. And honestly, it's all because of my incredible guests. I am honored and blessed to share time with people who are at the top of their game, and they show up here willing to help you get to where you want to be in life and in business. These are not people who hold back. Their goal is to share with us the essence of peak performance, and they always do. So today I get to welcome to the show Jim Rafferty. And he became a leader by accident after an unimaginable tragedy suddenly and unexpectedly placed him in a demanding volunteer leadership role as a scoutmaster of a local Boy Scout troop. And the story of how that shattered organization picked up the pieces and not only survived, but thrived, forms the basis of his book, Leader by Accident, Lessons in Leadership, Loss in Life. And that book is on my desk right now. And then suddenly, a few years later, he was let go from the job he'd held for more than two decades. And he came to realize that the challenges and lessons that he'd encountered as a youth leader had applications far beyond scouting. And he used those experiences to fuel a successful journey into entrepreneurship. As an entrepreneur, I'm always excited to hear these stories. So as a scoutmaster, Jim imparted dozens of bite-sized chunks of inspiration and life advice to the young men of the troop. And then leader by accident transforms those lessons into life advice for business leaders. Jim, welcome to your part in Success Radio. It's good to have you here. Thanks so much, Denise. Good to be here. Well, we tried this earlier in the week in tech problems. <laughs> yeah, gremlins. There were gremlins. gremlins. Right. And they, they might were, have been in my I, computer. I don't know. Oh no, I think it was me. I really do. But anyway, it's so good that I uh, thank you for rescheduling midweek because normally we do Mondays and Fridays and here you are. So listen, before we get rocking and rolling here, tell people a bit about yourself that I might have missed in that quick intro. Sure. Thank you. Uh, By trade, I'm a marketing communications consultant. So I work with businesses of various sizes in a whole bunch of industries and help them just tell their story better, I guess. Uh, You know, that involves everything from general strategy and to, you know, websites and blog writing and email newsletters and all the things that that businesses do. And uh, I've been at that for about 10 and a half years now, and I love it. And that's sort of part of the story of the book, Leader by Accident. And, you know, before that, I was a radio announcer and program director and all that. And then, you know, uh, what I call uh, taking the vow of poverty. And then I got out of radio and did some other things in between. So we'll, we'll talk about all that. But, yeah, that's who I am. Thank you. I think we all take that vow of poverty at some point or another or <laughs> multiple times. Exactly. I know when when I went back to school and got my little computer science degree and decided I was never, ever going to work for anybody else again. I'm a highly committed introvert. I don't play well with others. I run with scissors. And if you want coffee, you can go get it your own damn self. So I have to work <laughs> alone. <laughs> Right. You talk about a vow of poverty. I mean, for about a year, I kept going, oh, geez, oh, geez, I could do that. Oh, crap. <laughs> it was bad. Yeah, right. But then all of a sudden, I went, I cut, you know, got in my groove, and here I am. So I get it. Yeah, we live and learn those life lessons, especially professionally, I think. And it's funny you, you put it that way. In uh, one of my business peer groups yesterday, someone referred to that as uh, paying life's tuition, you know, which is sort of a good way to put it, right? You know, you, you have oh, to. Oh, yeah. You know, it's like it's like it's sort of like putting yourself through college. You know, there's a cost associated, and uh, that that cost comes in the form of some difficult lessons sometimes. And a lot of listen, I don't sleep a whole lot anyway. But that first year, I was like, I don't. What a sleep! How do you do that? Somebody else right. had no idea. But you know, there were so many lessons, and there were so many things that I wound up teaching myself, and I found out discovering about how I operate in the world without, you know, having other people around me all the time. It's been amazing. I I would not have changed that year for anything. 
Well, I, it, I didn't it, like the broke part, but, you know, who does? Sure, right, yes, except for that. <laughs> so, Jim, tell us about your story, because you I've got the book, and I, I'm not going to jump into it. I actually had tears in my eyes a lot during this no. book, and I'm not trying to scare people, but... You know, this is a this is a story that needs to be told. Yeah, back in 2008, uh, a local attorney, local being the the Baltimore, Maryland area here, um, and his wife and their two younger sons were all shot to death by their old son, who was 15 years old at the time. It was a nationwide news story at the time, and um, you know, I, I always like to begin the story by saying that, you know, the, the Browning family, John and Tammy were everywhere in our community. And, and that, that tragedy impacted so many thousands of people that, that my little slice of it is hardly worth talking about, but it changed things for me pretty significantly in that uh, John, the father was the scoutmaster of the local boy scout troop that our son Matt belonged to. Matt was 12 at the time. And um, a few days later, I was the new scoutmaster of the troop, which was an interesting choice because as a kid, I was a Boy Scout for all of about two weeks. I really didn't like it. Uh, I didn't have really any experience as a leader in the scouting program. I didn't have any outdoor skills in terms of knowing anything about, you know, camping or canoeing or all the things you'd like your, your scoutmaster to do. And I remember, you know, just a couple of days after all this happened, the troop had a, you know, committee meeting and, I was asked to take on this job and finally looking around the room and saying, folks, there are 12 people here and 11 of them have more scouting experience than I do. So I'm not sure why you're asking me, but if this is what you think is the best thing for the troop right now at this moment in its history, then okay, I'll, I'll give it a try. And, you know, that was a really life changing decision for me because those next five years that I served as scoutmaster were so incredibly rewarding and challenging and there were so many you know just neat adventures and leadership lessons and and learning for me all the the stuff I didn't know about you know the nuts and bolts of outdoor life and and all of that that um it it really changed things for me so you know that that's the beginning of the book and you know when I, when I'm speaking to a group I always say at this point well you know big deal. So what, you know, you were a scoutmaster and the, the scoutmaster doesn't carry the nuclear football or, or anything like that. But the, where it really became something truly life-changing for me was a few years later when, as you mentioned in, in the opening, I lost the job I'd had for almost 21 years at that point. I was the marketing and sales manager for a fairly sizable home improvement company here in Baltimore. And so I started to look for another job because that was all I ever knew how to do. I mean, it never crossed my mind to be an entrepreneur, to to do my own anything, to do anything other than have somebody hand me a paycheck and provide my benefits and, and all that. And uh, the, the problem with that strategy, as it turned out, was that there was not a whole lot of demand for a 15, 51-year-old self-taught marketer. And so I didn't have a lot of success finding, you know, quote, unquote, a job. And so I did wind up hanging out my own shingle and and doing this consulting thing. And, you know, what gave me the, the courage to do that to, as I put it, step off the ledge into entrepreneurship was all these adventures I had as a scoutmaster. And, and the thing that made me realize that, you know, stepping out of my comfort zone really had changed who I was over those several years. And I became a consultant now 10 and a half years ago. I've never looked back and, you know, I, I love the work. I've done better than I've ever done doing anything else. And, you know, I, I highly recommend it. So, so that's kind of the story of leader by accident in a pretty long nutshell. <laughs> well, and you talk a lot about comfort zone and if you're going to be an entrepreneur and I've said this time and time again, you have to get very comfortable with being uncomfortable. In fact, you need to be comfortable with being miserable on occasion. And you have to have a cast iron stomach, meaning if you knock yourself down or somebody else knocks you down, go ahead and throw up all over your feet if you need to, but get back up and go back at it again. Yep, it's not going to be an unbroken string of success. No. And, and, no. Yeah, and I spend a, a good bit of time on the the whole getting out of your comfort zone thing in the book because, you know, clearly for me that first step into this, you know, demanding volunteer job, 
for an organization whose future was in doubt at that point, you know, for which I had no qualifying experience. I mean, all that qualifies, I think, is a, a pretty big step out of your comfort zone. But that that first step out really powered the second step out of my comfort zone into entrepreneurship. So the other thing that happens when you do challenge yourself is it makes the next challenge a little more easy to wrap your mind around, I guess it's how I'd put it. And the the other thing I would say, Denise, is we, we all need to get out of our comfort zone. Uh, we don't need to live outside of our comfort zone, I don't think. I mean, even to this day, you won't find a bigger homebody, you know, creature of routine than me. I'm, you know, I'm not out like skydiving and launching a new business every week and, and all that stuff. But, you know, I, I do still try to, well, you know, I wrote a book. So there you go. There was, there was another step out of a comfort zone. Listen, I have my comfort zone that nobody's going to blast me out of, but I'm aware of it. And I've examined it. Oh, you know, maybe you should, you know, get out. I'm an introvert. I'm a highly committed introvert. I'm not a people person. I'm not shy. And I get along just fine with people for 59 and three quarter minutes. But I know this about myself. <laughs> but I know this about myself. And I know once I start going, I've got to go. People who know me understand that I'm just going to go. You know, I may wave mm-hmm. goodbye, but I'm out of there. They they love me and accept it, but that is my comfort zone is being off by myself in my own head. That's where my creativity lives. But, you know, there were times in my life where I had to work around other people. I did it, but man, I was exhausted all of the time. I mean exhausted. So I finally said, can't do that anymore. I've got to be off by myself. Took some doing, and I was broke for a little while. Yeah, right. <laughs> but, but, you know, I'm so glad I did it. But you don't know what you don't know, I think, is your point, Jim. You just, you don't know what you don't know unless you stick that toe over that line and go, ooh, a shark didn't there, bite. Okay, one more, one more foot. Okay, let's go. Yep, there, there is a leap of faith involved in it because we, we don't know what's going to happen. I, I had no idea. I so what what drove the entrepreneurship thing for me was while I was looking for work, three different people from three different, completely different avenues of my life came to me and said, hey, could you take a look at blank, you know, my website, this proposal I have from a vendor to do a website, you know, this sort of thing. Well, those three, and that's sort of what showed me like, hey, there might be a path here. And those three became my first three clients and still are, you know, God bless them. Um, but you know, you don't know. I, I spent 20 years in home improvement. So I thought, well, I'll be the home improvement guy and I'll work with home improvement companies. And I do, but it's a small minority. I mean, I wound up in industries that I back then did not know were industries. Uh, so you, you don't know where things are going to go. You don't know where things are going to come from. And I, you know, I guess I would sort of call myself an introvert too. And it, it this, you know, comes up a lot in the business peer group meetings, you know, the sort of fear or dislike of networking events, right? You know, oh, I hate, I'm terrible at small talk, you know, all that kind of thing. It's it's a thing for a lot of people. It really is. And like I say, I'm not shy. And to be honest, I don't have much in the way of filters. So yeah. it's often a good thing that I'm not out and about. <laughs> it really is. <laughs> but, I, you know, I just, I I like to be alone. And I find, as I mentioned earlier, that is where my creativity really, really shines. But what you just said about the three people coming to you, they they came for a reason. I mean, they were pointing a new direction that you would not have thought about if people didn't have enough confidence in your, you know, how you wanted to show up or how you could assist them or help them. I mean, they showed up just in time, didn't they? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. But but here's the thing, and and this all comes, you know, from many many hours of reflection after all this happened. Like, I I didn't wake up one day in 2012 it was, and you know, say, hey, you know what? I hiked the Grand Canyon, therefore I'm going to go be an entrepreneur. You know, it that connection came later in, in reflection, and the thing that comes to me in reflection is knowing the old me and then the, you know, the newer version of me. If those three people had come to me, 
and said, could you help with, I would have said yes. And I would have done it. Uh, it was the, you know, the side hustle on nights or weekends or whatever. And I would have kept looking for the job and the paycheck and the safety net until I found one, whether it was something I actually wanted to do or not, because that's how I was wired. And it, and it, it took the, the scouting adventures to sort of change that wiring enough to say, you know what, I think I can do this. And I'm not sure exactly how it's going to go or where it's going to take me. But, you know, I have enough faith in myself and in the, the sort of general concept that things work out for the best that we're going to give this a try. I'm so glad you did. A lot of people, and especially during COVID, you know, when that started, people thought, oh, it's going to be a couple of weeks. It's a big flu. We're fine. And three years down the road, people are still my understanding still putting masks on, which frankly I don't understand, but that's a whole nother conversation. And I was watching people because it didn't, fortunately, did not impact me at all. My office is in my home, has been for 20 years. It, things actually got almost too busy for me. But yeah. it concept, when people really will come to you and they trust your opinion, they're coming to you because they really think you will understand how to help them and I call those God winks I really do you know when when people start showing up outside of your comfort zone and they're showing up just boom 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 pay attention and it sounds like you did yeah yeah I think you have to listen to that voice and and give yourself a chance because Honestly, if if we don't challenge ourselves once in a while and do the thing that scares us a little bit, then we just stay the same, you know, and, and the, the old saying, you know, the saying from the wise old preacher who says, you know, God loves you just the way you are, and he loves you too much to let you stay that way. You know, we, uh-huh. we, need, to, we need to be growing and changing and, you know, in some way all the time. Every moment. We're talking a lot about leadership these days because... It really is important, and there's so many different variants, back to COVID, of yep. you know, leadership. But listen, I think we are all leaders, for the most part, in our own way. But I also think that many of us don't understand that we're leaders. Yeah. When, when I speak to groups, I always make that point to you know, sort of get partway through and say, so here I am talking about you know, all this leadership stuff, and you may be sitting there thinking, oh, I'm, I'm not a leader, right? And I always say, look, I don't care if you run a company with 250 employees or if you're the, the salesperson who started two weeks ago. Somebody somewhere in your life at some point right now is looking for, is looking to you for leadership. It might be your child. It might be your elderly parents who are less and less able to take care of themselves. It might be your spouse. It should be, right? Because we take turns when we're in the proper kind of relationship. We take turns leading because at times, we, you know, the other one needs a little more help than at other times. Um, so, yeah, we, we all are called on to lead in some way, shape, or form, and it doesn't necessarily being the boss, they're, mean being the boss. They're, they're two different things. They really are. And I will often say, listen, I'm the boss. Do what you're told. Nobody gets hurt. I'm not talking to anybody but me. <laughs> but still, right, yeah. I have to have that little chat with myself and say, Denise, really? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and sometimes we have to lead ourselves. Oftentimes, correct myself, we really need to lead ourselves. Yeah, so that, having that came up. the language that we use as leaders, even when we're talking with ourselves, I think is pretty critical. It, it is, yeah. And back back to being the boss for a second, because this, I think, is a challenge for new leaders in the business setting. And we would see it over and over again with the scouts, you know, where a young man would get elected as his, you know, say, patrol leader. So now he's got six or seven other kids that he's, you know, you know, the leader of. And in his head, that would mean I'm the boss. And he'd start ordering them around and telling them to do this and do that while he sat there doing nothing. And they would cheerfully ignore him. And oftentimes that young man would come back to us in tears and learn his first difficult leadership lesson that, you know, being the leader doesn't mean ordering people around and saying I'm the boss. You know, there's, you have to win hearts and minds. And that's a very different story. But yeah, to the, to the language point that you brought up. I, I spent a good bit of time on this in, in Leader by Accident, and it really grows out of a couple of stories. I'll, I'll tell you one just very quickly, though, where I had a young scout who was a junior in high school at that point, and we were 
setting up chairs before a meeting, something really mundane like that, and just chatting. And knowing where he was in school, if he'd started to think about college majors and that sort of thing. And, you know, he mentioned a couple of possibilities and we chatted about that. And he said, uh, Mr. Rafferty, what do you think I should do? And I said, well, I don't know. What do you, what do you like to do? What, what interests you? And we chatted for a couple of more minutes and I'm a little embarrassed to admit that I forgot the conversation ever happened because it was just, you know, small talk. Um, about a year and a half later, when that young man uh, reached Eagle Scout, he sent me a very nice handwritten note to thank me for you know what I had done, which was frankly not a whole lot. But um, and but in that note, he recalled that conversation that I had forgotten, and he said that was the first time in his life that anyone had ever asked him what he wanted to do with his life. And I mean, he was 15 or 16 years old at that point, which was kind of jaw dropping to me. And that was really an eye opening moment in terms of the language that we use as leaders and how sometimes what we think is just small talk or a joke or a throwaway comment or a casual question can be received in a way that's very different from what we intended. And in this case, that was a good thing, right? It, it you know, opened up perhaps a new perspective for this young man. but a lot of times in business, it goes the other way. And when that happens, you've got, you know, two problems. You've got a, a cheesed off employee and you're the last to know. So, you know, I, I always like to say when we have so many ways to communicate now that mostly involve typing, you know, where we're, we're emailing or we're texting or Slack or some other form of IM or something like that, that if I'm leading people, I'm going to be in the habit of following up on anything halfway important, not only to make sure that it was received and understood, but to make sure that that um, it was interpreted in, in the sense that I meant, you know, and, and not taken the wrong way. And, you know, because it's very easy to lose the tone of what we intend when we're typing and not talking. So the, the discussion about leadership and the language we use goes on from there. It's difficult to understand nuance when you're when they're words on paper or in an email or nuance is important and you need and that goes back to kind of your your point that you often don't understand how you're impacting people. Right. And again, you know, when I speak live I sometimes say, Well, there's another so what moment, you know, so you have this conversation with a scout and you know, well, so what? And the, the so what part is that this directly impacts that thing that we spend so much time and money and effort chasing that we call organizational culture, or in the age of the great resignation, we like to talk about employee engagement, really two sides of the same coin. And I don't think people realize a lot how, how much language has to do with that. And the, you know, the, the way we communicate as leaders and there's, I'm, I generally don't read things out of my book to people, but this is not, this is by Tom Peters and th this sums it up so well that I put it in the book. And he says, culture is shaped by the casual comment the boss makes to the receptionist as she walks through the door in the morning. Culture is shaped by three casual comments, no more than 30 seconds each that the boss makes as she walks the 25 yards from the receptionist desk to her office. Culture is shaped dramatically by the tone. There's that word again, tone and quality and care put into the six emails the boss responds to in the 15 minutes after she gets to her desk. You know, culture in large part revolves around the words we use and the way we use them and how we communicate. And, you know, I, th I think we miss that a lot. We do. And the thing is, I'm sorry, I've got cats screaming in the, the <laughs> background. I've, I'm fostering a couple of cats and, there's a little bit of a fight zone going on, so I apologize. I oh, don't know. Sorry. And there they go. I'm so sorry. Um, I'm going to have to vacuum when it's all over. I can see it now. <laughs> it's probably the fur, the fur literally flew. Yeah. yeah, it is. But but the thing is, when when we're trying to communicate with people, particularly if we're not speaking directly to them or looking at them, and even then, you can make. You, you can almost feel like, oh, maybe I shouldn't have said that because you can tell something maybe didn't land properly. But to your point, I think it's very important that we do follow back up and say, 
okay, did that make sense? How did that work out for you? Do you need me to clarify anything? You know, just be a good citizen, I guess, in terms of communication. Well, it is. And then now for the last three years, we've had this additional layer of difficulty in all this in, as you mentioned a short time ago, the pandemic, right? Where we were all in the office together having a good time on Friday. And then Monday, all of a sudden, we had to figure out how Zoom or MS Teams or something worked. And so now I'm a leader and I'm trying to manage people. And not only am I not in person to pick up those those nonverbals or to have the little small talk in the hallway that, you know, sometimes lead to some really good ideas, right? Uh, not only do I not have that, I now have to lead in a way that calls for new levels of empathy because there's a pretty good chance that my direct reports who are now working remotely are also trying to homeschool their kids or take care of an aging parent that they're, you know, not allowed to be with because everything's locked down or, or whatever it is. And that. You know, that whole situation, I think, called for unprecedented levels of empathy in leaders. And I think some answered the bell and a large number did not. And that the second part of that, I think, is why at least part of the reason why we've seen this this great resignation and, you know, this employee engagement crisis that we're going through and the. Uh, quiet quitting, which, you know, don't get me started on that. Either either work your job or don't work your job. You know, but, um, I actually, I actually right? do want to get you started on that because yeah. everything that you just mentioned, I'm, I'm puzzled by it because I'm yeah. not working for somebody else. I'm not in somebody's office. I'm not getting coffee. I don't drink mm-hmm. it. Get it yourself. <laughs> but, yeah, I, yeah, I'm watching this and saying, okay, Denise, what are you missing here? Yep. And – you know, for me, the the thing is, well, I'm trying to think of how to say it, but I, I wrote this book, by the way. This book was done and ready to go to the publisher before the pandemic began. And I oh. sort of sat on the manuscript for a few months just thinking like, wow, we don't know how our world is going to change. And then very early on, uh, after the book came out, I, I finally decided, okay, it's going, things are going to come back in some way, shape, or form. I didn't change the book. I sent it off. It was published. And then one of my first uh, interviews after it was published was right after the, the news came out, uh, the start of the Great Resignation. I think it was the month of November 2021, and you know, 4.3 million people quit their jobs in that month. Okay. Um, And that was all this particular host wanted to talk about. And I thought, okay, well, my book isn't really about that. And then the more I, it was a brief interview we finished and I thought, okay, well, I survived. And then I thought about it some afterwards and I thought, well, yeah, there is a leadership thing going on here. So we had this great resolution and all that going on. And there were a lot of reasons, okay, why people left their jobs. I mean, some just they didn't want the commute anymore and figured they could do something without a commute. Others figured out they could make a living with whatever they were selling on Etsy or whatever. For for others, it really went to the heart of, hey, this is a moment when I'm deciding, is this really how I want to spend my life? And the answer is no. Okay. And those are all, you know, 100% fair, good reasons. You know, you, you do what's right for you. But I think if we look to what we just talked about in this, this, increased need for empathetic leadership. You know, I've always said people join companies and they quit bosses. And I think a whole lot of people quit their bosses. Ah, that makes sense. It really does. Especially if you've got bosses who really don't understand or events much in the way of empathy. And I'm not saying go soft and pat everybody on the head and say, you okay, how's your mom and them as we do in the South? But listen, sit down, listen. And one of the worst things, in my opinion, that people can do is listen part way and then start offering up, okay, do this and do this. It's like, shut up. You're not yeah. hearing me. Yep. And in fairness, I mean, we we need to say also, well, we sort of just did, but it became more of a challenge from the leadership end, too, because we really do lose a lot when we're not in person. 
Right. And that's kind of a that's kind of a generational thing. I think much of the younger half of our workforce would disagree with me on that. I know our our son is 27 and he lives in Nashville and he manages a few people at his job and he was kind of upset at the end of the year when they told him he had to start coming in two days a week instead of one. And I'm like, well, you manage oh. people. You need to be there in person, yeah. and, you know, and, and chat. And, and he's like, no, you don't understand that. And I'm like, yeah, okay. Uh, who's been at it longer here, fella, you know, right. but, um, but yeah, it, it's very much a generational thing, but I, I, I am convinced that we lose a lot when we're not in person. And that doesn't mean it has to be 40 hours a week in person. I, I think that's probably not coming back for a long time, if ever, for a lot of organizations, but, um, but there, there, there is a middle ground and, you know, where we do get those nonverbals and those sort of, hey, bumping into somebody in the hallway or the break room and, and the stuff that comes up out of that, that, you know, if we're on a scheduled Zoom call, there's an agenda and it's very structured. Mm-hmm. And that idea that somebody had last night before they fell asleep might never make it back to the boss, you know, that kind of thing that that happens in the in the, the happenstance meetings that just happen in a, in a physical workplace. Mm-hmm. It also happens in, you know, conversations like this one. This is where I'm comfortable. I'm very comfortable being on the radio. I'm very comfortable chatting with you for an hour. I'm listening. I'm listening very intently. I'm listening in between the lines, so to speak. I'm very, very engaged with this. This is where I shine because I get to learn from people. I get to, you know, kind of hear what you're saying and then, ooh, I've got more questions. And, you know, connect back with you again. I mean, it's impactful to actually listen to people and talk with people and take notes. You just learn so much. It it is hard to listen effectively uh, because what we want to do, I think we we want to start formulating our response before the other person is done speaking. And, you know, and part of that is perfectly natural. I, I, when you finish talking, I better be ready to say something here in this setting, right? But at the same time, I really need to focus on on what it is you're saying because a lot of times we want to we want to interrupt and we want to answer the first part before we hear the whole thing. I mean, listening is a, a a very underrated skill. I think. I think it's yes. I agree with you. And I remember my grandfather sitting sitting me down. Literally, I wasn't a very talkative child. I've always been an introvert, but. I also wasn't listening, and he knew that. And he said, Denise, you need to learn to sit down and listen. He didn't tell me to sit down and shut up. That Mm -hmm. wasn't the issue. He told me to sit down and listen. He said, listen with your eyes. Listen with your ears. Listen with your heart. Yes, sir. Oh, that's good. I learned. I learned. Yeah. Oh, that's great. Yeah. I, I like the listening with your eyes part. Yeah. And your heart. And, yeah, but you know, if you're going to be around somebody, you can't be. And I, I am around people. I'm not, you know, 100% introverted. Well, 98%. But mm-hmm. and I fully intend to grow up to be the crazy, crazy cat lady with a whole bunch of cats, a bottle of gin, sitting on a rocker <laughs> with a shotgun, saying, "Get off the grass." <laughs> I have a plan. <laughs> but, but when you're talking with people one on one. You do need to make eye contact. You need to not have your eyes darting all over the place. So if you accidentally or deliberately say something that's going to make them flinch, you need to see that flinch and correct it or ignore it, whatever you're comfortable with. Yes. Yes, and that goes back to the the nonverbals and the body language and all that, that we lose when we're connecting remotely. Exactly. So in your book, Jim, you talk a lot about the importance of the language that we use as leaders. And I have to tell you, I mean, every chapter, I love these chapters. You've got Scoutmaster Minutes all the way through this book. And I really like them. But one of the ones that I was reading before we, we jumped on here was about apology. You have to be able to apologize when it's appropriate. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So let's talk about that because I think that doesn't happen enough. And I'm not saying making groveling apologies. I'm thinking, oh, I probably shouldn't have said that. Let me go back and make sure that I didn't accidentally step on somebody's foot or hurt their feelings or is it okay or am I being oversensitive? You you need to be aware is my point. Right. And 
Yeah, so a couple of things there. So first, for those who aren't familiar with the, the scouting program, the, you just referenced the Scoutmaster Minute, and that, that basically is a little homily, <laughs> you know, a very brief message given by the Scoutmaster at the end of each weekly meeting before the young men head out the door, you know, just to send them out with a positive, motivational, whatever thought. And when I became Scoutmaster, I thought, well, I, I don't know five ways to start a fire without matches, but the Scoutmaster Minute I can probably do. So I worked hard on those, and I kept an archive over my five years as Scoutmaster. And, and yes, I, I use those throughout the book, Leader by Accident, and then use them to sort of tee up the next chapter. So the message that I was trying to teach to the Scouts at that point, then we, we discuss in the, the following chapter in a way that I hope is meaningful for people like you and me trying to get through you know business and, and, and life. And the one that you mentioned about the power of the apology references the uh, the Toro company who you make, you know, yard equipment, lawnmowers and such. And when you make those sorts of products, people get hurt using them. And the usual response is to, you know, lawyer up, as we say, right, and, and make it as difficult and expensive for the other person to sue you as, as possible. And at some point uh, in the 90s, I think, Toro decided to try something different. And when, whenever they word reached them that someone had been hurt using one of their products. They would send someone out in person to say, we're sorry. Not necessarily it was our fault. And that's an important distinction, but just look, we're sorry this happened and let's look at what happened and see if we can figure out how to keep it from happening to somebody else. And that gesture, that sort of shift in strategy saved them. I forget it's in the book. I forget the number, but millions and millions of dollars in legal fees over the next however many years. And so, you know, the point that I made to the scouts in telling this story is, you know, teenage boys as a breed are not really good at admitting that they're wrong, right? They, <laughs> they get their back up and they argue and they're, they're just sort of wired that way. And I said, you know, sometimes there's an actual physical change that happens with other people when we look them in the eye and apologize. And, Again, apologizing doesn't mean we were wrong. Sometimes it does. But sometimes it's just, hey, I'm sorry you had this experience. You know, what What can I do? Or if I am wrong, then, yeah, I'm going to say I'm sorry I was wrong. And in almost every instance, that's 100 times better than, than stonewalling and rationalizing and trying to justify what you did and, you know, and refusing to admit that you're wrong. There, there is huge, huge power in the apology. There really is, and it took me way longer than it should have to figure that out because I'm a little bit pig-headed, a little bit. <laughs> okay, a lot, <laughs> but but it is. It's important. It really is. And one of the, I'm, I've got your book open to. Um, I think it's the first Scout Master Minute, and it says, "How will you feel if you don't?" And that can you know be apologizing. It can be anything. But I'm going to read just a little bit out of it because I. This really got me thinking. You had heard a story that you enjoyed, and it was about a lady who thought it would be a good idea to go bungee jumping, or at least she thought it was a good idea until she got up on the bridge, 150 feet above a pond, and then understandably she froze. <laughs> yeah, I froze with her. And yep. it would take several tries before they could talk her into jumping. And then this is important, y'all. After Afterwards, another member of her group who had jumped before her asked, tell me, what was it they said to you up there that made you finally jump? And she replied, they only said two things. Imagine how you'll feel after you do this, and imagine how you'll feel if you don't. And that applies to making an apology when necessary as well. Because if you don't and you think it's really warranted, you're going to feel like crap for a while, promise Yep, it absolutely does. And and it goes back to really the first part of our discussion about getting out of your comfort zone, too, and missed opportunities. And in that specific setting with, you know, scouts are 11 to 17 years old, you know, that that is the age of their life when they're figuring out who they're going to be. And they're trying things on and seeing what fits and what doesn't. And they have opportunities to do new things. Mm -hmm. And Unfortunately, another quality of the teenage boy and many adults is that sort of voice in the head that says, oh, I'm not going to do this because I'll look stupid. I won't be good at it, you know, that, that sort of thing. And that's the point I was trying to make to them. That, like, and, and there's several other examples through the book that's in sort of a similar vein. Like, 
when you have the opportunity to try something new, try it. You don't know. Maybe you will be terrible at it. But if you go into it thinking, I'm terrible at this, you're going to be right every time. You have to give it a chance. And you might find you, you know, that your passion is something you haven't even thought of yet. And, and that's so important. And it doesn't go away when we stop being teenagers. You know, the opportunities come to us and it professionally. So here I am. You, you talked about starving as a new consultant, right? Here's, here's a great example. Me too. I'm a few months into doing this and my sister-in-law worked for a place out of state and she reached out to ask if I would be interested in writing some technical questions for, you know, like multiple choice questions for people trying to pass professional certification exams. And I thought, wow, uh, that's not really marketing, is it? But, you know, on the other hand, uh, my dance card and my bank account are not full. So, sure, I'll give it a try. And this was, again, uh, I, the, the guide on how to write these questions was a 38-page Word document. Ow. Um, yeah, ow is right. My but, again, my I, I had time. I had time and I needed money, so I said, sure. Well, lo and behold, I did those for years, and they were a big help in putting two kids through college. And about a year after I started doing them, I discovered also that they were then recording these uh, texts and presenting them in audio format. Well, guess what? I used to be a radio announcer. And so I did hours and hours and hours and hours and hours of recording of these things. And again, between the writing, the questions and the recording, that was a big help at that point when we were paying college tuition. So, you know, it goes back to that. Will I be good at this? Do I really want to try this? You know, I, I try very hard not to say no to stuff and to, to give it a chance. And in that case, it, it, couldn't have worked out better and see that makes perfect sense to me I mean if even if you had it in your head that you wanted to be in marketing you didn't say instantly uh, you know this is not really where I'm going so good for you yeah and in, in fact at one point not too far along they asked me if I was interested in interviewing to be their VP of marketing for the whole organization and I politely declined because we weren't in a place where we could pick up stakes and move out of town at that point. But, um, yeah, so you you do not know where things are going to lead. No, and opportunities are everywhere if you're alive to them. You really do have to pay attention to what other people are saying, what they're asking you. You know, with you, you became a consultant because people trusted your judgment. They trusted how you could show up and and be of assistance to them. Was it, you know, part of your resume starting out? I'm guessing no, but here you are. Yeah, here I am. And those opportunities don't come. And this is, for me, has been another sort of post-pandemic thing, getting back to good habits. But, you know, when you're, especially if you're just starting out as an entrepreneur, but really for anybody doing anything, I think we have to intentionally schedule time to get with people. Okay, and I know you're an introvert, and you you do you. It's okay, but my you know my advice. And I do me well. I do it well. I am the best me I can be. My advice to the just starting out entrepreneur always is, what I did was go through what was then a Rolodex and basically reach out to everybody I knew and say, hey, do you have time for a coffee? And we would sit down and talk, and I'd say, hey, here's what I'm thinking of doing. And they weren't necessarily a potential client or anything. They were just somebody I knew and respected for whatever reason. So and a couple board, of things you happened. You created so, your own sounding board. Right, exactly. You, you, so you bounce this business idea, and they say, yeah, but try this. One, one of them ran a small ad agency and gave me copies of the agreements he used and stuff to, you know, to modify for my own use, which just saved me hours and hours. God bless them. Um, but what happens is, you know, you you make a connection with somebody and you get to know them a little better and vice versa. And ha- at least half the time they would say, you know, you should meet so-and-so. And then they would make an introduction to somebody else. And, and the network grows and it grows and, and that web gets larger and larger. And that really was fuel for, you know, an entrepreneur in the early days. And so like everybody else, I had to, you know, stay home by myself during COVID-19 and really at the start of this year, I discovered, I I realized, I didn't discover that 
that habit had sort of gotten away from me. So I'm trying to be intentional now and get out, you know, just once a week, have a coffee with somebody. And again, they don't have to be able to do anything for me. I don't need to be able to do anything for them. But somewhere there, there's going to be some common ground and and I, the need to connect in person just really, I, I feel, is like what a lot of us lost. And there's so many benefits to it because, again, you never know where something's going to take you. You really don't. And as an introvert, I mean, I bought my house online. I bought my car online. My groceries are delivered. But every once in a while, I do have to get out among other people. And that typically is in Walmart or Albertsons or I'm running errands. <laughs> and and I have to be very honest about this. I come home pretty pumped up because I met people that I'll, I'll never meet them again. I've had that this is the South. You know, we don't say, hey, how are you doing? You have to tell people how you're doing, then you have to ask them how they're doing, and it becomes a whole other conversation. But not, and this is some years ago. But I remember looking at this beautiful older lady. She was probably in her 80s, and she was just beautifully turned out. She had the cutest outfit on. She had sparkly little shoes on, and I'm a shoe person. I'm a nerd in stilettos, and I just blurted out, "I said, I love your shoes." Forty minutes later, we said goodbye. Right. <laughs> like it was a fascinating conversation. And then I came out, and this was years ago, and I still smile real big when I think about her. It was just, I got to get to know somebody. She's a Cajun lady and just wonderful stories. I still remember her. Yeah. Those small, unexpected connections feel so good when they happen, you know, and, you know, and they don't happen if we stay home on Zoom. No, no, I don't like Zoom. I hate it to be honest. Yeah, right. yeah. <laughs> it's a lot it's of. It's a valuable tool. That. I mean, it, it is. It is. It is. You know, it's it is a valuable tool, and you know, with with without that technology, without you know all the internet stuff, I couldn't do what I do. Right? You couldn't do this show. No. Right? You know, but but the the flip side of that is it's really never been easier to like avoid other human beings, and I think that is having a big cumulative effect on our society. You know, I think we've got too many people sitting behind computer screens and phone screens and not engaging with each other and and we're we're losing some of that empathy and compassion that we have for each other more naturally when when we're in person. And to some degrees we're losing humanity of the keyboard warriors who just get nasty yeah. online about anything and everything. I just want to say you know, I don't know if your mama masked your soft spot too hard or you're just a no. demon that stopped talking to me. Yeah, yeah. And and the the vast majority would never do that if they were face to face. Exactly. It, and I've, you know, easy. listen, I've said this because we talk ugly to one another, apparently. That's fine. But to me, Jim, the ugliest that I ever hear, you know, conversation is me talking to myself. And I'm really working on it because we all talk ugly to ourselves and mm -hmm. honestly if anybody because we'll say oh you know oh, you're ugly you're fat you remember whatever it is that you're you're worried about my butt's big whatever the heck it's gonna yeah. be <laughs> seriously if anybody spoke to me in a walmart parking lot the way i speak to myself i would need bail money so my yeah, right. <laughs> this is where i stand if you're not going to allow yourself to say it to yourself don't say it to somebody else either try for yeah, the golden right. rule you yep. know if you want to put something out on on facebook that you don't want your grandma seeing on a billboard don't do it right yeah yeah, hundred percent. I, you know, we've we've lost a lot of civility um, because there of you the, go. That's what I was because, looking for. Because of the, you know, let's generally call it the internet, but the, you know, technology in general. Sure. Yep, hundred yeah. percent. Okay, I'm in your. I'm back in your book, and I'm in the the um, chapter about gratitude. Gratitude yeah. is a big, big part of how I live my life these days. And I'll tell you, going back to how you don't know how we're going to impact somebody, this is probably a 10-year-old interview that I did. And this man had cured he had cured himself with a variety of, of things. He had surgery. He you know, went through all of the, the things he had to do. But he really gave credit to just experiencing and living with what he called extreme gratitude. And I felt silly because I didn't know what he was talking about. I didn't, yeah. you know, I'm one of those people, jump out of bed, the devil says, oh, crap, she's awake, and off I would go. 
I trained myself because of talking with him to stay in bed with a cat on my bladder. That ain't easy, y'all. It just isn't. Yeah, right. But I will stay there and speak out loud what I am so grateful for that morning, that day, just for waking up. It makes a huge difference in how I operate. Yeah. Yeah. The, the gratitude was a recurring theme in those Scoutmaster minutes because, uh, no. you know, again, you know, that it's a, it's a range of years when they're figuring out who they're going to be. And, you know, it's so, so important to me to be, you know, they need as many positive voices in their ears as possible in those years, young men and women alike, I think. And to be one of the happy opportunity to be one of those voices was a, a, a big responsibility and a, and a privilege for me. And I just, um, you know, I always harped on gratitude because it is, and again, it kind of circles back to what we were just talking about with the the internet and how easy it is to be rude to each other and all that. But it's very easy to only see the negative, you know, in the things that happen in our days, the things that go wrong and the things that, uh, you know, the things that annoy us. And it takes a little more effort, I think, to call out the things that are good. And I first made this point to the young men in 2008. And I think in the, you know, the 15 years since then, it's gotten even more difficult because that, that, that trickle of negativity that it was back then on the Internet has now become this fire hose. You know, if you scroll through your social media feeds and, and just the news and the, the way we're treating each other and all that, it's, it's very hard sometimes to focus on what's good. And but there's so much value in doing that. I mean, it just kind of reframes your whole outlook on life. If you can make a habit, and that's the important part, to make a habit of cultivating that sense of gratitude. And I did have to make a habit. It just never occurred to me. I mean, I knew I was thankful and grateful. I just never expressed it deliberately or out loud. And that made a difference. And in your book, you talk about the Scoutmaster Minute called The Wind at Your Back, which also right. addresses the need to make gratitude a habit, which is what we're talking about. Right. Yeah, that was, that was the very first one. And then I repeated it a few years later uh, to the Scouts, and, and a couple of them remembered it, which was incredibly gratifying. But, um, yeah, it, and it's just that, right? If we, you know turn on the shower and hot water comes out, we don't give it a second thought, right? But if only cold water comes out, we're going to, you know, somebody's going to hear about it and, and pretty loud. And it's not that, you know, we need to kneel down and say a prayer of thanks every time we flip the switch and the light bulb lights up. But, you know, it, it is that it's very easy to fall into this all-American habit of just complaining about everything all the time. And we all know at least one somebody like that, right? So, you know, it, it takes effort. It does. And for some people, that is gratitude journaling, and it works great. And God bless them. I don't have the attention span for that, I guess. Um, for me, it's very simple. The last thing I do before I close my eyes at night is think of three things that happened that day that I am grateful for. And some days it's a challenge to come up with three things. We all have days like that. And some days it's a challenge to decide you know, which three things make the cut. And that's a really useful exercise too in, in the things that are really important in our lives. So, I mean, whatever works for you, do that, you know, whatever is easy for you to make a habit of it, but it, it is, um, you know, it, it's a life-changing thing if you can cultivate that sense of gratitude because you, you come to everything from a new place. Get your voice heard. If you would like to launch your own far-reaching... Get your voice heard. If you would like to launch your own far-reaching podcast...